Chapter 4 of The Romance of Modern Astronomy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Krista Zaleski. The Romance of Modern Astronomy by Hector McPherson. Chapter 4 The Fountain of Light. Schiaparelli has called the sun the most magnificent work of the Almighty and so far as our world is concerned, the orb of day certainly merits the title. Without the sun, life on the earth would be impossible. Without the sun, indeed, there would be no earth. Yet so accustomed are earth's inhabitants to the day star, that day after day we experience light and heat, year after year we enjoy the summer season, and do not stop to consider the source of these marvels. It is well to remember, occasionally at least, that the sun is all in all to our planet. There are many marvels in connection with the sun, but perhaps nothing is more astounding than its vast distance and enormous size. The distance of the sun from the earth, as ascertained by methods similar to those used to measure the distance of the moon, mentioned in the previous chapter, is, roughly speaking, 93 millions of miles. The earth's orbit is not exactly circular, it is slightly elliptical, and as a result, the sun's distance varies from 91 to 94 millions of miles. It is easy to write out the figures representing 93 millions of miles, 93 followed by six zeros. But it is not so easy to realize the enormous distance which these figures represent. Sir Robert Ball has given an excellent illustration as follows. How long will the clock have to tick before it has made as many ticks as there are miles between the Earth and the Sun? Every minute the clock, of course, makes 60 ticks and in 24 hours the total number will reach 86,400. By dividing this into 93 million, you will find that more than 1,076 days, or nearly three years, will be required for the clock to perform the task. There is another vivid way of illustrating the sun's distance. A tour around the world, involving a journey of 24,000 miles, can be accomplished in 60 days. Before a traveler could cover 93 million miles, he would require to accomplish about 4,000 of these journeys. He would be 600 years old when he arrived, even supposing him to start on his journey as an infant. Take another illustration. If it were possible to travel to the sun in a railway train, night and day without stopping, at the uniform rate of 40 miles an hour, it would require no less than 265 years to reach its destination. If the train had started in the time of Cromwell, it would not yet have reached its destination. No less astounding than the sun's distance is its size. The diameter of the solar globe is 866,000 miles. No fewer than 109 globes of the size of the Earth would be necessary to stretch from the one side of the sun to the other. Properly to estimate its size in comparison with that of the Earth, we must consider its volume. The volume of the sun is one and a quarter millions of times greater than the volume of Earth. If all the planets, satellites, and cometary and meteoric bodies in the solar system were rolled into one globe, it would take no fewer than 750 of such globes to equal the volume of the Sun. Professor Gregory gives the following unique illustration of the Sun's size. If we had a contract to build up this stupendous bulk, and were to deliver a load of the same size as the Earth every hour, the order could be completed working day and night for 150 years. We have seen by how much the sun exceeds the earth in volume. 
In weight, however, the sun exceeds our world only 330,000 times. This proves that the density of our world is about four times that of the sun. The reason of this is that while our world is a solid globe, the sun, as we all know, is a great ball of gas, incandescent, glowing with an inconceivable heat. We all feel that the sun is very hot. Even on our planet, it sometimes shines so brightly as to make us uncomfortable. What, then, must be its actual heat, if it can be oppressive at a distance of 93 million miles? Perhaps the best illustration on this point was given by Professor Young, the well-known American astronomer. If we could build up a solid column of ice from the Earth to the Sun, two miles and a quarter in diameter, spanning the inconceivable abyss of 93 million miles, and if the Sun should concentrate his power upon it, it would dissolve and melt, not in an hour, not in a minute, but in a single second. One swing of the pendulum and it would be water, seven more and it would be dissipated in vapor. The estimated temperature of the solar surface is no less than 18,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The heat emitted by the Sun in each second, according to one of the most distinguished of modern astronomers, is equal to that which would result from the combustion of 11 quadrillions, 600,000 millions of tons of coal burning at the same time. This does not help us to realize the heat of the Sun. It helps us rather to realize how far the whole subject transcends our comprehension. How is this enormous heat maintained? It has been calculated that if the sun were composed of coal, it would burn out in 6,000 years. But the orb of day has lasted much longer and seems to be in its prime. The most probable explanation of the source of the sun's heat is that the solar globe is contracting. This contraction generates heat, which it has been calculated will keep the sun at a high temperature for 10 million years. It is also possible that the element radium may have something to do with the maintenance of solar heat. But here we are in the region of speculation. Equally astounding is the brightness of the sun. The intensity of sunlight, as it is called, at the surface has been estimated at 190,000 times that of a candle flame, 146 times that of a calcium light, and three and two-fifths that of an electric arc. Then, in regard to the brightness of the sun, it is estimated that the total light is equal to 1,575 quintillion millions of wax candles. This unthinkable row of figures can assist us in realizing, as it were, the incomprehensibleness of the brilliance of the day star. In reference to the light and heat of the sun, it is well to bear in mind that the Earth and its inhabitants receive only a very small portion. It has been calculated that if the sun were expending, instead of energy, money at a rate of 18 billion pounds a year, the Earth's annuity would be only 9 pounds. Owing to the dazzling brightness of the Sun, it is impossible to observe it in a telescope without the aid of a dark glass. When we first observe the Sun through a telescope, we behold a disk of yellow light. If we scan the disk carefully, we shall, in all probability, notice one or two minute markings. These are the sunspots. These spots are not permanent features of the sun, like the mountains and craters of the moon. They are merely temporary markings. Sometimes, indeed, they disappear in a day. An astronomer looks at a sunspot carefully one day and makes a drawing of it. Next day, he looks for it again and finds that it has vanished or completely changed its form. Now, what are these sunspots? They were a mystery to the early astronomers who first discovered them, Galileo and Shiner. Indeed, the discovery of these spots came on the men of science of the day with a shock of surprise. It was thought that the sun was too pure to have defects on its surface, 
and accordingly the astronomers who first announced that they had seen spots on the sun were openly disbelieved. However, the spots were soon proved beyond all doubt to be really features of the disk of the sun. Observation with moderate-sized telescopes, and even with small instruments, reveals a very remarkable fact concerning these spots. They are rents in the glowing atmosphere of the sun. Another remarkable fact concerning sunspots is that they are not uniformly dark. The black central portion, the umbra as it is called, is surrounded by a grey portion, the penumbra. These are supposed to be not really black and grey, but merely dark in comparison with the brilliant envelope of the sun, the photosphere or light sphere as it is called. Spots are supposed to be vast cavities in the glowing envelope. They vary greatly as to size. Sometimes a spot is so large as to be visible to the unaided eye. One famous spot was seen in February 1892. Its length was no less than 92,000 miles, and its breadth was 62,000 miles. A number of small spots were connected with the large one, and the length of the group was 162,000 miles, the breadth being 75,000 miles. The spot group had an area of 3,500 million square miles. Seventy bodies equal in size to the Earth would have been required to cover up this gap in the photosphere. Most spots, however, are by no means so gigantic as was this particular example. Sunspots reveal to astronomers many important facts. They show that the Sun, like the Earth, rotates on its axis. By observations of the displacements of many spots, astronomers have found that the rotation of the Sun is performed in 25 days at the equator and 27 and a half days at 45 degrees north and south of the equator. That is to say, the Sun does not rotate as a whole. Different parts have different periods. The day of the Sun, therefore, is over 25 times longer than that of our planet. Another remarkable fact which sunspots reveal concerns their own distribution. At some seasons, spots are much more numerous than at others, and it has been ascertained that they increase and decrease in about every 11 years. Thus, 1889 and 1901 were years of few sunspots, while 1893 and 1905 were years of many spots. The history of the discovery of the solar cycle, as this increase and decrease is called, is one of the most interesting in the annals of astronomy. In 1826, a German apothecary named Schwab, who was interested in the study of astronomy, commenced to count the number of spots on the sun from day to day. His only instrument was a small hand telescope. After about 20 years, he found traces of the increase and decrease, and by 1851 had fully proved the existence of the sunspot period. Here was a discovery which had escaped all the great astronomers and fell to be made by an amateur. Besides the spots, the telescope reveals the existence of bright ridges which are known as faculi. These are usually observed close to the spots. Like them, they are far from being permanent features. Even in a few hours they utterly change their shape, and in some cases it is impossible to sketch their form, so quickly do they alter and disappear. Although they are closely connected with the spots, there is one remarkable difference. Spots are usually confined to two zones above and below the solar equator, while faculae are found in every latitude except in the polar regions. It is important to remember that the greater part of our knowledge of the Sun has been derived from observations not with the telescope alone, but with the telescope aided by an instrument even more remarkable. This instrument is called the spectroscope, and in order to understand properly many of the latest and most wonderful discoveries in astronomy, it is necessary to have some idea of the principle of this instrument. Put briefly, it may be said that while the telescope reveals the celestial bodies, 
the spectroscope tells us the materials of which they are composed. Just as water can be broken up into its elements, oxygen and hydrogen, sunlight can be broken up into its primary colors, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. This can be done by passing sunlight through a prism of glass, and the strip of rainbow-colored light which results is called the solar spectrum. In fact, the rainbow is merely the solar spectrum produced naturally by what is known as refraction, the bending or deflection of the rays of the sun. The solar spectrum was first investigated by Sir Isaac Newton, but it was not until the year 1814 that Fraunhofer, a German astronomer, noticed in the spectrum a number of dark lines. He detected about three or four hundred of these and named the more prominent by the letters of the alphabet from A in the red to H in the violet. He was greatly perplexed at first over the meaning of the lines. He found that they were conspicuous in the spectra shown by the moon and planets, but not in the spectra of all the stars. In other words, the lines were found to be characteristic of sunlight, whether direct or reflected, and sunlight only. It is possible, however, to analyze other kinds of light besides sunlight. In a physical laboratory, the lights of heated elements may be observed with the spectroscope, an elaborated form of the ordinary prism, and when each element is thus analyzed, it is found to be characterized by one or more bright lines. In 1859, Kirchhoff, a German scientist, showed that while a gaseous substance gives a spectrum of bright lines, a luminous solid or liquid gives a continuous spectrum. In the words of a lucid astronomical writer, substances of every kind are opaque to the precise rays which they emit. That is to say, they stop the kinds of light or heat which they are then actually in a condition to radiate. This was the solution of the problem. All the astronomers had to do was to examine the spectra of heated elements and fix the position of the bright lines in these spectra, and afterwards compare the position of these lines with the position of the dark lines in the spectrum of the sun. As the positions were in many cases identical, it became possible to ascertain of what substances the sun was composed, and Kirchhoff was enabled to detect the presence in the orb of day of such well-known elements as sodium, iron, copper, zinc, and magnesium. One of the uses of the spectroscope is to determine the elements of the sun, but it has other uses. It has disclosed to astronomers the existence of another atmosphere. In the chapter on eclipses of the sun, mention will be made of two solar features which are then seen to full advantage. These are the red flames, or prominences, and the corona, a halo of silvery light. We do not see these features of the sun every day because they are obscured by its dazzling luminosity. When, however, the dark globe of the moon interposes and cuts off the light of the photosphere, they are visible. By means of the spectroscope, it is possible, however, to observe the prominences daily, and consequently our knowledge of these marvelous objects has greatly increased since the application to them of this instrument. They have been ascertained to be tongues of glowing hydrogen shot forth with tremendous power from the chromosphere, a thin layer surrounding the photosphere. Some of these prominences are enormous in height. An extraordinary outburst was witnessed on September 7, 1871, by the late Professor Young, one of the foremost solar observers. At noon, he was examining a prominence by the spectroscope method. It had remained unchanged since noon of the day previously. A long, low, quiet-looking cloud, not very dense or brilliant, or in any way remarkable except for its size. At 12.30 a.m., the professor left the spectroscope for a short time, and on returning half an hour later to his observations, 
He was astonished to find the gigantic sun flame shattered to pieces. The solar atmosphere was filled with flying debris, and some of these portions reached a height of 100,000 miles above the solar surface. Moving with a velocity which, even at the distance of 93 million miles, was almost perceptible to the eye, these fragments doubled their height in 10 minutes. On January 30, 1885, another distinguished solar observer, the late Professor Tecchini of Rome, observed one of the greatest prominences ever seen by man. Its height was no less than 142,000 miles, 18 times the diameter of the Earth. Another mighty flame was so vast that supposing the eight large planets of the solar system ranged one on top of the other, the prominence would still tower above them. Like the spots, the prominences increase and decrease every 11 years. The law, which governs the number and distribution of the spots, also governs the prominences. This 11-year period governs more than prominences and spots. It also governs the shape of the corona, a silvery radiance which envelops the sun outside of the chromosphere. The entire sun is governed by this period, which as a result influences the other bodies of the solar system. Take the magnetic variations on the Earth. These magnetic variations indicate a period of almost 11 years. Not only the periods agree, but a great outburst of spots and prominences on the Sun is usually answered by a magnetic outbreak on the Earth. In February 1892, a large group of sunspots appeared, and the result was great disturbances of the delicate magnetic needles kept at Greenwich and elsewhere. In February 1907, another great group appeared. It was followed by a magnificent display of the aurora borealis, or northern lights, an electrical phenomena which is caused by electrical discharges in the upper regions of the Earth's atmosphere. As Professor Gregory remarks, magnetic storms are generally accompanied by auroral displays, and vice versa. What is more, the frequency of auroras keeps time with the frequency of sunspots, and therefore with the intensity and magnitude of magnetic variations. In a word, the sun is the pulse of the solar system, from which all influences run outward. We may now briefly review what is known of the constitution of the sun. The central portion of the mighty orb below the photosphere has never been seen. In the words of an able writer, of the heat in the sun's interior we can form no conception. The pressure within the sun is equally inconceivable. A cannonball weighing 100 pounds on earth would weigh 2,700 on the sun. Thus, a mighty conflict goes on unceasingly between imprisoned and expanding gases and vapors struggling to burst out, and massive pressures holding them down. The first solar envelope is the photosphere, that bright, calm-looking solar surface on which the spots appear, and from which we derive our light. Above this are envelopes technically known as the reversing layer, and the chromosphere. This latter envelope, from which the prominences emanate, may be described as a sea of fire, in a state of everlasting turmoil and unthinkable heat. Like the sea, it is restless and agitated, but its waves are waves of glowing hydrogen and its spray fragments of shattered sun flames. Beyond the chromosphere is the corona, a soft silvery radiance, which can only be seen when the sun is totally eclipsed. The corona has long proved a problem to astronomers. Its shape varies in sympathy with the 11-year period, and it seems closely connected with electricity and magnetism. It streams out from the sun for millions of miles, becoming more and more rarefied, until it gradually fades into the ether of space. It is the final solar envelope, calm and peaceful, a fitting crown for the orb of day. This, then, is the sun, 
ruler and center of the solar system, to which we on earth owe our light, heat, life. We cannot hope to realize fully the marvels of this mighty orb, or properly to appreciate the delicate mechanism, the marvelous contrivances which keep the grand central orb in touch with the little planets which circle around it. Without the sun, not only would life on this planet be impossible, but our planet itself would not be in existence. In view of all this, we can fully appreciate the remark of Proctor. If there is any object which men can properly take as an emblem of the power and goodness of Almighty God, it is the sun. End of chapter 4